Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, hello, podcast family. It's so great to be with you again. I hope that your here and now is doing amazing. Sending you a huge hug and love over the airwaves. You can receive this good old energetic hug. Um, If you are here for part two for Robert Grant and you've listened to part one, bravo, because you are not afraid of getting your mind properly shattered. Um, He's going to just dive deeper in this one. More of the same. I highly invite you to um, go check out this video on YouTube. If you go to Matt Belair's show on YouTube, you can see some of the slides that he's referring to. Also check out, you can check out his course on resonance.is forward slash zen and you'll get a discount. You need to be a delegate. The Resonance Science Foundation is is an amazing course. I did it last year. I went to Egypt with them. It was spectacular. And you can get his uh, full course, The Etymology of Number, there. So um, if you want to dive deeper, there you go. It's truly phenomenal. Um, As he said, his math was recently proven, and it's mind-blowing. We talk more about this one on the uh, the vacuum constant, uh, the emerald tablets of Thoth, the possible pyramid builders, Rosicrucian sacred numbers, the Bible, um, Pythagorean tuning. So, you know, we're going to go deeper and he's going to kind of give you like the end of the story of what these discoveries meant for him. Um, This is a huge deal in the world. This is a major discovery in the Egyptian pyramid. This is a major discovery in mathematics. This is huge, huge deal. (laughs) I can't express that enough. I don't understand it um, really, but I understand some of it. So it's truly a mind blowing episode. Um, If you like the podcast and you want to support, please do three acts of kindness today. If you can't do three, please just do one, but it requires you taking the actual action. So hold the door open, pay a compliment, pay it forward, uh, pick up a piece of trash, anything, an actual action of kindness, please. Um, If you want to support the show and support me, you can go over to patreon.com forward slash Matt Belair and just toss a buck in the bucket. Even if a small percentage of the audience just donates uh, a dollar or contributes a dollar a month, it goes a massively long way for me to be able to do this, to travel, to support myself, to eat sandwiches. So if you want to support the show in that way, please do that and it would be appreciated. Also, those of you guys leaving reviews and sharing, um, I want to thank so much to Minxu from the UK and she says, uh, wonderful and heartwarming, empowering and accessible to everyone on a course of self-development in a spiritual journey, mind, body, spirit at its best. Thank you so much. So I appreciate you taking the time to leave that review. It does help. It does encourage others to listen to the to the podcast and say, hey, this is pretty good. Um, for those of you guys who want coaching, I'm doing two things right now, a 90-minute breakthrough session where we can overcome limiting beliefs, um, design a fulfilling life. We can go into anything from consciousness, law of attraction, fulfillment, life creation, whatever. And uh, then I'll give you homework so you can um, get very, very clear and then start doing some of the program. It's kind of like if you were out of shape, I could give you a workout program, overcome the limiting beliefs, and you can go execute. If you want to dive deep, 
deeper there is monthly coaching and this is for people who really want to level up who are really wanting to make a change and we usually do four eight or 12 weeks to begin with and it really is about getting very very clear on what a fulfilling amazing life is for you um, overcoming the limiting beliefs and blocks that you have now designing that reality giving you great steps in order to execute it and then doing it from a place of fulfillment and clarity from where you are and that's the most important piece so I work with everybody from you know single moms to families to entrepreneurs um, so if this sounds like you and you're really committed just hit me up at mattbelair.com forward slash coaching and it'd be a pleasure to work with you uh, I want to thank my sponsors uh uh, sync tuition you can go to bit.ly forward slash gamma waves and you can get three free binaural beat tracks that are 3d sound that are amazing and david lone bear Senapass, the native elder of the Mi'kmaq nation are nation are one of the native elders uh he makes legit vibrational uh what do you call it? reactive jewelry that creates a field um and creates uh magnetic field that promotes coherence, um, clear thinking, and uh, it's actually measurable. So a lot of stuff is out there, but not all of it is measurable. So check that out at LoneBearsArts.com, and you can look at the Atlantis Eye uh, pendant. That's one of his things. And just support him. If you support the podcast and support David Lone Bear Senapass, because he is the most mind-blowing, amazing person that I've ever met, and you guys know the kind of people that I'm talking to. So you know, he's pretty darn special. So go support him. So I think that's it. Sign up for the email list at mattbelair.com. Uh, check out Zen Athlete. And if you haven't read the book, just go Zen Life, Zen Business. It's all the same. It's the, the tools to self-mastery. So check it out. Gift it to a friend if you like the content because it's all the best in uh, consciousness, spirituality, and personal development all wrapped up into an easy-to-read book with easy steps. So that's it. Uh, let's come into a state of peace and coherence and gratitude for where we are now before we dive in. So just taking in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and just let it out slowly with all the cares, all the worries, all the self-criticisms and self-doubts. Every part of you that doesn't accept every part of you. Taking in another deep breath in through your nose and just make this firm commitment to accept all parts of you. Just to be loving, kind, compassionate and grateful for yourself. Just feeling that now. And just let that breath out slowly with all the cares and all the worries and all the self-criticisms and every part of you that you don't accept. And take in one more deep breath in through your nose, holding that breath and really just doubling the feeling of self-acceptance, allowing, self-worth, confidence, inner knowing, just connection with divine source and all life. And I'm just sending you all of my love, all of my support, all of my encouragement, all of my well wishes for you to remember that you're amazing, that you are whole, perfect, coherent, enough, amazing, just as you are to fully accept your, yourself and to go through life with just acceptance, peace, love, confidence, uh, inner assurement, knowing, and that's it. So there we go. I think we're ready to get into this absolutely incredible second part with the amazing Robert Grant. Their whole process, Sirius is the brightest star in the night sky. And we already know there's a lot of alignments of the Great Pyramid associated with Sirius. But what I did is I found this language, and part of the things you learn in etymology of number course is you learn how to convert decimals into references of degrees on a circle. And when I took that same 31.1342 and divided into 36, or in this case, 360 degrees, because 36 is just a smaller fractal of 360 degrees. Then I get that same ratio again of 0.864. Remember, light speed is 1.864, only this time it's in miles per second, not meters. So, whoa, wait a minute. 
So both the latitude and the longitude of the pyramid are light speed references, one in meters and the other in miles. Now, that's where I start to separate out and say, okay, that can't really be a coincidence, right? And now I just gave you a number as well of phi, 1.618, and then numbers behind that. Well, I just so happen to want to run the calculation on the nautical miles. I have to do with the mile versus the nautical mile. It's 1.151 miles is a nautical mile. So you divide 186,400 by 1.151, then you get the nautical miles, right, for the speed of light. And what a surprise, it ends up very close to phi itself. 1618, in this case, 1619. So there were no nautical miles that were even created. There was no like, you know, latitude, longitude measurements of the pyramid. Now let's keep pulling on this string because obviously I started wondering, wait a minute, was the pyramid built in the future and set backwards in time? Because there's so much you had to presuppose, right? To have that much advanced technology in the pyramid. And remember, it's two and a half million stones, each stone weighing 30 to 70 tons, 20 to 70 tons. Let's be real. We calculated a reasonable number of years to build the Great Pyramid as it stands right now. And we could never do it with our technology today. Guaranteed is about 583 years. Yeah. Who's going to do that? Like, okay, I think I'm going to die in 583 years. So I'm going to set my burial place up now so that my great, 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 great grandchildren will have a place where they can die and they can have a burial place. Not likely, right? I mean, so realistically, they know the pyramid had to have been built in like 20 years. That's like a ridiculous number of gigantic stones that have been put in place every second. Not realistic. Now, the other thing I look at here is that all these side lengths, and this is all done in feet. What we learned, and, and Alan Green also learned this, is the foot, the, the sacred cubit, 1.71828 feet, the meter, right? All of these measurements in the centimeter are embedded as constants within the pyramid. So as an example, the base width of the pyramid is approximately one-seventh of one mile, one note of an octave, right? An octave of seven notes. By the way, pi itself can be derived as looking at three octaves closed, which would be 22 notes. You start on C, end up on, you know, the next three octave up. C, and you're going to end up with 22 total notes in between there. And then you divide that by one open octave, which ends at B rather than closing it out to C, that's pi, 22 over seven. Three octaves divided by one open octave, that's pi. Now, interesting, right, that all of these measurements, and you can take the dimensional references and say, I'm going to take the base width, 756 feet, I'm going to divide that by the height, 481 feet. What a surprise, I end up at gamma. It's that same number that we looked on the page for the camp of Israel. I'm going to take the side, right, uh, of the pyramid, the slope up, and I'm going to divide that by the height, and I'm going to end up at phi, the, the basically phi uh, square, uh, square rooted, right, and phi squared. I can do this with all of the measurements of the pyramid, and I end up with all these perfect, absolutely perfect, transcendental, irrational numbers. And not only that, but if you actually look at the lengths themselves, you might recognize the 718 on the side there of the pyramid going up on its corner. Well, that's the same 718 as the 1.718. 
That's Euler now minus two, because Euler is 2.718. We all get stuck on the decimal points, where the decimal points sit. In a fractal universe, it doesn't matter. It moves from wherever your reference point is. Right? It's a fractal that just goes up and down. You just move that decimal both directions, wherever you're looking at it from. So that's the same 718. And in fact, the 222.22, if you divide that number by 360 in this language of light that you learned through the course, you end up with 0.618 of a circle. There's your phi number again. 0.618 is phi. And 38.2, if I take 1 and subtract, or 100 and subtract 38.2, what do I get? 61.8. That's alpha, that's the alpha constant, which is the mirrored opposite. It's the darkness of phi's light. So all of these measurements, I started really, really in-depth studying. And as I got deeper and deeper into this, I found more and more patterns and connections. Every single mathematical constant that exists on the face of the earth that has been discovered today, and probably many that have not yet been discovered, are embedded in the proportional dimensions of the Great Pyramid. Now, is that surprising to you, Matt? It's amazing, man. It's, well, your whole, your whole course is amazing. I just want to give you an FYI, though. You got three minutes to two if you got to go meet Nassim. So I, I'll just give you that. And, and for those of you guys watching, definitely do the course. It's this mind-blowing the entire time. There's so much more. So I'm going to take you through this real quick. So what I found is that on a circle, all the major mathematical constants, which are pi, tau, rho, gamma, Euler, and the speed of light, are just musical notes that end up on a seven-sided heptagon, okay? Because the pyramid is built on dimensions of seven and 11 and seven and 22. It's all related to pi. So I also then discovered that Euler, which is 19 over seven divided by pi, 22 over seven, gives us the speed of light if you just add one to the front of it. And that again gives you as well the dimensions, the diameter dimension of our sun. So the greatest mystery ever in physics is this number called 137. It's the 33rd prime number. Einstein, Richard Feynman said about it, we don't understand this number, right? It comes to us with no understanding by man. You might say the hand of God wrote that number, and we don't know how he pushed his pencil. And there's a great book by him and Carl Jung and, and Wolfgang Pauli that is titled In Search of the Mysterious 137. because when Richard Feynman died, he was in a hospital. They took him to his room, and he knew, he told the nurse, and he says, I'm gonna die here. And she said, why? And he said, look at the room number, and it was 137 in his hospital. He knew that somehow that was sort of like a beginning and ending for him. So we all know this tetragrammaton, which is Yahweh. Right, and it's read backwards, it's right to left because that's Hebrew. And everyone would know that these are sort of yod, hey, vav, hey. So I didn't look at it, even though I speak Hebrew, as Hebrew. I knew that Hebrew is a mathematical language, and so I looked at it, well, maybe it's a mathematical equation. And if it were a mathematical equation, what would it look like? Well, how about pi to the seventh power, reading from the right, over pi times seven. Now, I thought to myself, I swear, if this thing comes out to 137, I'm gonna literally shit myself, I will die, right? Because this is gonna freak me out. I don't know what to do, 
if this happens, right? So I did the math, and of course, pi times seven is 22, right? Pi times seven is 22, and pi to the seventh power is 3,020. So if you put 22 over 3,020, you divide 3,020 by 22, what do you get? 137. And that is a mathematical constant called alpha. So here, this name of God in the Bible, Yahweh, the Tetragrammaton, is a mathematical equation that is named alpha. So I learned that there's only one constant. In fact, this one constant creates this pattern that derives down itself to 5.16. And that's the merger of a pentagon and a hexagon. And the bent pyramid in Darshur is based on the combination of pentagon and hexagon. The slope angles would be equivalent to those that would be hexagonal as well as pentagonal. And you create a male and a female constant off of this one Yahweh constant, which gives us 1 over 137, or alpha, the beginning. And out of that, you can now form all, on the left side, all the phi constants, all phi related, phi squared, which is all spirality. And on the right, you form all the constants that are governing things like gravity. And those constancies related to gravity come out in the form of Euler. Those two in combination form what we perceive as light and sound. And half notes of sound are related to 0.71, that's Euler minus two. And full notes are 0.14, so you double Euler, right, minus two, and you end up with pi minus three. And pi is each musical note coming successively up a spiral scale. Here's the bent pyramid at Darshur, and of course, I couldn't help but notice that, gee, that looks like a giant A, right? You've got this giant A, and someone said to me, oh, well, you know, if they're going to leave a signature on the sarcophagus, why don't they just put it on the outside of the pyramid? And I'm like, maybe they did. Could just be a giant A. So this 516 as a natural marriage and merger, because you notice the first angle of incidence on the five, or the pentagon, is 72 degrees. The sum of angles of a hexagon is 720 degrees. That makes it a natural marriage as an upfractal pairing. And through a Vesca Pisces, you end up with the one right in the center that acts like a mirror that merges those two worlds from the material and the immaterial worlds into one. So this is a picture of what I was drawing on the flight over to Egypt from Israel. And I was drawing out this perfect Vesca Pisces and positioning the A, the crossbar on the A exactly where it needed to be, and it relates to flower of life. And this particular placing of it creates a particular ratio, because it's not the center of the circle. You would see the line that you see here in the center, uh, you know, with the Vesca Pisces, that would be the center of the circle. It's slightly higher than that, and you can see that it's got a differential between that, that circular point, which would be the center of that, or the apex of that circle, would be where you would have the center of the next circle, but in this case, it's a little bit higher. And the reason for that separation is because it creates a phi relationship in proportionality so that the center of that A becomes an alpha phi relationship. So even the letter A has proportionality of perfection that relate to the constancies. So I was drawing this, and the inverse of an A looks kind of like an M. So if you, if you made a box right, and, and blackened the box, and you lightened out the center part of it, and you flipped it upside down, then you have an A. And if you did the opposite of it, you'd have an M, which is interesting, right? 
It's like an inverse relationship of each other. And of course, the implication of that around I am were interesting to me, so I looked at it. So then I started looking at King's Chamber, and while I was there, Alan Green had asked me to go and buy a little like, precision laser pointer measurer. You can get them at Home Depot. So I did that. While I was there, I was measuring the King's Chamber like crazy, and the guys that were there, the guards uh, that were there were like freaking out. They're like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. So I'm measuring the room. He wanted to know if, if the sarcophagus of stone could be fit through either one of the potential doors. There's one uh, door that is uh, sort of hypothesized off on the right side of the sarcophagus there. And yes, it would fit through there. And the other door is on the other side of the room. And that's the one you'll remember, Matt. Uh, we crouch through that door and it fits perfectly through there too, but it's only a half inch clearance on all sides. So, it, and this is not exactly a light thing, okay? So it's all made of rose granite. Uh, as you can see here, the pyramid, you know, the builders didn't have an eye for kind of like leaving any decorations behind. It's pretty much as austere as austere gets and plain Jane. And you see the length of the sarcophagus is 89.62 inches. And the height is uh, 41 and a half, and the width is 38.5. And, uh, and, and so what I did is I measured, because Alan asked me to, I measured the volume of the sarcophagus versus the volume of the king's chamber, and what do you think? One over 137. What a surprise. There's your alpha again. So while I was in there, one of my buddies is like laying down, and I'm like taking pictures, everything, they're not supposed to be letting us take pictures but they you know they don't really care about the tourists that go in there it's the ones who are going to try to find something that they get freaked out about so while he was laying down in there i looked down on the side the far side uh you can see the little purple circle uh where the room's orientation is and lo and behold it had been in my consciousness already the shape of the letter a so then i noticed Somehow in the rose granite on the surface of the rim, there's a letter A. And right next to it looks like there's an omega. And then off to the right of that and down the side of the sarcophagus, I see a compass with a circle, even to the degree where there are degree markings in between the legs of the compass. And I had known, of course, that there's not supposed to have been any writing found. In fact, the only writing ever found that suggested Khufu was the builder was this red paint that was left by purportedly the builders of the pyramid, the mathematicians of it, above the king's chamber in these tiny crawl shaft chambers that are above it, uh, this fellow by the name of Weiss in 1839 who led an exhibition that cost a lot of money and he had some big investors behind him. Some people believe, including Graham Hancock, who just when I presented this that night, I presented it, released a, a, a whole news story on how Weiss was proven as a hoax to appease his investors he used red paint to paint in that upper chamber, and that's the only reference and why we call it Khufu, right? The whole pyramid is Khufu's pyramid. It, th that's not adequate proof, and, and even Graham Hancock now, as well as many other scholars, and many for a long time have believed that there was a good chance that that was a hoax, uh, that that paint up there was left as a hoax. So that means if, if you discount the quality of that finding, or purported finding in 1839, then this is the only real writing in the pyramid, other than some graffiti that you'll find in different places. So here's a horizontal view of it, and, and off to the bottom right, you'll see my little laser measurer that I bought. It's a Bosch one, it's pretty cool. And um, 
So you could see the alpha and the omega here, but to help you see it, and, and the peak of the A is very, very pronounced. And this doesn't look like it's done by a graffiti artist, that's for sure. And so you can see it back and forth here. So then what about the other symbol? Uh, it makes a perfect 30 degree angle. Looks familiar. It's got a little bit of this uh, Freemason thing on it, which is kind of bizarre. And very often architects and history have left their signature next to their architect seal, which often includes the instrument of the, geog the, the, the geometry expert or the architect himself, which is the compass. So I couldn't like leave well enough alone. I had four Egyptologists with me and they're like, okay, Robert, you're like a mathematician on the pyramid, so why don't you analyze these things? So there I did. I started doing the measurements and everything and I found that it was 5.6 inches across. Knowing already that 5.6 inches is fundamental, that's again, your pentagon and hexagon uh, relationship. And then I measured the length of the A, which was 3.24 inches. I found it interesting that that's exactly two phi, so 1.618 or 1.62 is phi. So I've got two phi there. And the length of the, the width of the A is uh, the 3.24, and I divide that into 5.6, and now I've got the gamma constant again, which is really interesting. And I knew also that 1.86 was important, and what a surprise, but the height of the omega is 1.86 inches. The width is 1.62. So you've got this perfect phi relationship again. And lo and behold, every single constant that is embedded in the pyramid is embedded right inside of these two letters that are embossed on the edge of the sarcophagus of stone. Now, what's also interesting is that if you measure this across the 89.62 inches, the, the peak of the alpha ends up at 0.37, which is alpha minus one. There's that 137 again. 37 is actually the 12th prime number. And the 21st prime number is 73. So you've got this interesting palindrome relationship where you transpose both of these numbers. 12, the 12th prime is 37. The 21st prime is 73. They're both palindromes. So, uh, and they're all prime numbers. And what you also notice is that the halfway point, the median point between the alpha and the omega is exactly 31.4 inches from the right side of the sarcophagus, which, of course, what is pi times 10? 31.4. Not a surprise because the length of the king's chamber, not including the door, is exactly 31.4 feet. So all of the constants that are embedded. Now, we also know 33 is kind of an important number because 33 relates to ascension, 33 vertebrae in our spine. We've probably heard this before. 33 years of the life of Jesus Christ, all of these things kind of combine, and, and the 33rd degree of Freemasonry, it's called the Knights Templar uh, degree in the York Rite of, um, of Freemasonry, Rosicrucianism, you find 33 everywhere, it's the Phoenix stage of ascension, of these degrees of ascension that are through alchemy, which start with Negredo, Albedo, uh, Citronidus, which is the peacock, and then it goes into the pelican and the rubedo, and then it ends with the stage of the phoenix, and the stage of the phoenix and the thunderbird merging. And that always stuck out to me because I, I went to graduate school in Phoenix at a school called Thunderbird. So I always kind of wondered why uh, the phoenix is always like 
red and the Thunderbird is always blue. And it took me quite a while to finally figure out, oh, they're kind of shadows of each other, kind of interesting in alchemy. So either the people that left these markings were graffiti artists who had incredible instrumentation that measured everything to perfection, the degree of which would only be matched by the pyramid builders themselves. Or this may have actually been markings left by the pyramid builders themselves. Now, the Egyptologists I had with me, after I showed them the mathematical analysis, they all believed that that was more likely the case. So then I had to ask the question, how could this be that there's no record anywhere in antiquity history anywhere since you know Khalid al-Mamun broke into the pyramid in the ninth century there's no record of any writing having been found and you would think the one place if the architect was going to sign you know his master work his magnum opus that he would sign the most important stone the most prominent prodigious stone of the two and a half million stones that are used to build the great pyramid don't you think that he would have signed it right there and nobody found it? It's kind of incredible. And this 33 also matches up to the hexagram, as we can see, and 66. So why is that? Because you, know, you can take the points on the circle and the first equilateral triangle, its bottom right angle will be at 0.33 of 360 degrees or 120 degrees. So 0.33 and 0.66 make the hexagram or the merger of male and female. The descending or downward pointing triangle is feminine and the ascending upward pointing triangle is masculine. The merger of male and feminine energy. Now, it didn't just stop there because I also looked at the omega and I said, okay, proportionally I know how the omega is, that's the heights related to light speed. What about the two angles, where do they land on a circle? for the bottom part of the omega. And surprise, surprise, the very center of both of them, geometrically perfect again, land at 137, which is alpha, and 222.5, which is 0 0.618 of 360 degrees, which is phi. So alpha is darkness and absorbed light. Phi is reflected light. Now in physics, we see colors like, you know, I have my little phone case here, it's black and it's gold, but it's not really black and gold. Um, this rose I have is red, but it's not really red. This is the reflection of red. You'll remember back in science class that this actually isn't red, it's reflecting red, it's absorbing a greenish blue color. Where does that greenish blue color go? It has to go somewhere. Is it in another dimension? Is that dark matter? What is it? This is the difference between alpha and, in this case, alpha on the right and phi. One is reflected, the other is absorbed. There's a mirror right down the center of these two dimensional planes. So obviously, this could all have been coincidental. I don't know, like the latitude and longitude being perfectly light speed in both miles and meters per second. Kind of amazing. Maybe it's coincidence, maybe it's not. So I started looking at this deeper, and of course I found that uh, Alpha and Omega, you know, there's only one guy that claims to have built the pyramid. It's not Khufu, it's not Kepren, it's not Menkari, it's not any of these dudes that they've got names on the pyramid for now. There's one guy that actually wrote in the Emerald Tablets and said, I built the pyramid. 
right? It's like, that's kind of audacious, right? Who is going to basically say, I built the pyramid and just have it be a hoax? Even those guys that are famous in antiquity and dynastic Egypt that, you know, wrote something about the pyramid, they never said they built it. They only ever referred, the word used was restored it. So when you look at Alpha and Omega, and of course we, we don't have to talk too much about the Alpha and the Omega and the esoteric meanings of that and the importance in the Bible in reference to Jesus, as well as the second coming, as well as the you know, revelations by John. Alpha is a word that means bull. It means ox. Aleph is the Hebrew letter for A. And of course, if you flip it upside down, it looks like a bull, right? You take the A upside down, it's got two bull horns, there you go. Pretty simple. And omega is a feminine symbol that looks an awful like the symbol for Venus. It's also meant to represent a womb. So alpha and omega. Now, Thoth was the only guy who said, I built the pyramid. He says it right here. Um, you know, built I the great pyramid, pattern after the pyramid of earth force, burning eternally so that it too might remain through the ages. And basically re references you know, several times in the Emerald Tablets of Thoth that he built the pyramid. Okay, so he's the one guy that said, but nobody wants to believe that, right? Nobody wants to believe because, I mean, come on, that's kind of crazy, especially it says the Atlantean at the end. But what if Alpha and Omega actually related to Thoth? You have on the side here, and who is Thoth, right? Who is this guy? What's the deal? Mercury, right? He's a Hermes Trace Majestus, thrice crown. You've got the male Taurus on the left side, and then you've got the female Venus on the right side. You merge those two together, and you get this kind of hermaphroditic Mercury. And both of those merged together make this perfect symbol of Thoth or Mercury. So you could probably argue that Alpha and Omega would be the signature for the guy, other than just having this symbol right here of Thoth. Say, I'm going to stamp this on here. It's the same one they use in astrology and alchemy. I'm going to stamp this on the edge of the pyramid. Actually, by leaving Alpha and Omega, he actually did. And what's necessary is to have those mathematical constants to know that it was actually potentially the builder that left it, because I don't think a graffiti guy would know how to do this. So you got Alpha and Omega. Venus is Omega, it's feminine. Alpha is male energy. Off to the left here, you'll see the, the Egyptian god Thoth always had sort of a bird's head. And he's always holding in his right hand the Omega symbol. And then you've got Mercury Hermes here, which is always also holding the Staff of Caduceus. Staff of Caduceus is what doctors use when they want to signify that they're healers or healthcare providers. Alpha and Omega is it potentially related to Thoth. So we see the combination here, and I've already said that pi times seven divided by pi to the seventh power is one over 137. But what if there's another thing that's embedded inside that Thoth? Now, in Hebrew, they don't use vowels, so there's no like circle or O in between the letters, right? So you you kind of read Hebrew, it's like reading the word please now. Nobody writes please anymore on text. They just say PLS, right? You sort of imply the E-A-S-E, -E, and you just get away with it by saying PLS. Well, Hebrew is kind of the same way. It's kind of an abbreviated language. You don't have to put uh, between consonants the vowels. You can kind of fill the vowels because you know the language well enough. And so reading it 
from right to left, you see that there's Yahweh again up in the top, Thoth, you've got the Phoenix, you've got the Thunderbird. This is the Rosicrucian uh, painting from uh, about 500 years ago, dark female moon, water, earth, Diana. On the left side, this worlds are inversed, light, male, sun, air, fire, Apollo. Maybe there's something to this, that this bridge between this higher dimensional plane of Yahweh, and by the way, there are 33 heads up there of angels, uh, which is interesting, 500-year-old painting, and you've got the phoenix and the crow on the left side there, which represents Negredo, then uh, albedo, which is the whitening of the white swan, the uh, the, the uh, peacock, which is in the bottom center, and then the pelican, which represents Rubedo, peacock is citronitis, and then the phoenix stage. Uh, what's interesting is you see the woman uh, shackled somehow into this realm, and the man shackled in this realm. You've got the rampant lion and the man holding the sun, which represents Apollo. And you've got Thoth in the middle that is sort of bridging the gap between these two realms or existences. And what if, if we wrote it out and read it backwards, you could see that a seven looks an awful lot like a T and an H, and that's actually the sound that it makes, yod hey, vav hey. The T, H, no O. So that's something that's just, I'll leave as a question. What is Thoth? I don't know. Uh, I know that there's a lot of work left back behind a guy that we don't know very much about at all, who claims to have built the pyramid. Um, and perhaps we should ask the questions, you know, should we be learning more about this mystical Thoth, who is also claimed to be a Greek god and the passer of all wisdom, etc. Now, I'll leave you on uh, one other thing. I'm going to go now to uh, this paper. So, can you just do this for me real quick? So, I'm going to show you the, uh, the discovery that, uh, that we made on prime numbers very quickly. And uh, should be able to come up here. It's just right there. Do we have it? There it is. Okie doke. So I'm going to go to the next page. So how do I do that? Just push down here. That one. Okay. So this is my first publication. Actually, this is the second one that we did. And this is on prime number determinacy. So what we found was, and that's good enough for now, and then we'll go to the next page in a moment. What we found was that every number into infinity ends up on one of these uh, sort of axes. Uh, and there are four, but they show up as eight, of course. They double when they cross. And it's at the north, south, east, and west poles. Uh, we also found that the mathematical constants all emerge in decimal as well as degree references out of the centers of those prime numbers. So these green numbers here are what's called Q primes. They're divisible only by other prime numbers and products of primes. And it's actually derived very easily. You just simply do a multiplication table of all those numbers within those moduli. And every number that doesn't show up is highlighted within those moduli. So modulus one would be the column of one, starting with one as you go around a 24 hour clock. Modulus five and seven, 11, 13, 17, 19, and 23, in each of those columns into infinity, you only have two kinds of numbers that show up in 
seven of those columns. And in one of those columns, you have three. In the first column, you see yellow color here. And those yellow ones are prime squared. So that's how you can tell that you've locked in the sequence because all prime squares, five times five equals 25. And you'll see that's the first number there. Uh, seven times seven is 49. 121 is 11 times 11, and 13 times 13 is 169, and then take that up to 289, which is 17 times 17. 19 times 19 is 361. They end up in the exact same spot into infinity. This is the only pattern that has this unique variance, this and, and, and a pattern of 12 as well. And then what you also notice is that in all the other moduli, if it's not a quasi-prime, like the number 119, if you look at the north, whole side of this above 95, you'll find 119. That's a quasi prime because it's divisible by 119, right? And the number one, but it's also divisible by seven times 17, both of which are prime numbers. Therefore, it ends up in this lineup right here. Now this only happens on this 24 hour clock or the geometry of an Icasi tetragon, a 24 sided polygon. Now what's interesting is that we have 24 hours in a day, of course, so 24 hours in a day, has an importance related to something else. And that is that it relates to time. And if you can imagine that we have 24 hours in a day, wouldn't somehow the 24 hours in a day have some relationship to the diameter and potentially the radius of the Earth as it spins? Well, is it a surprise then that if I add up the sum of angles, which the interior angle of a 24-sided polygon is 165 degrees, if I multiply that 165 degrees, by 24 sides, 24 angles, that I end up with 3,960. What a surprise, but that is the exact radius of our Earth in miles. The two should be related. Now, whoever created the mile, we know it's fundamental, obviously had a much higher understanding than probably we could calculate today. So what's interesting though, is in each of these moduli, if it's not a quasi-prime, then it must be prime. So every number into infinity, and we can calculate using simple multiplication without any factorization using very little computer power or energy, we can calculate primes into infinity where they should land. And is it any surprise then that that's what we did and every number that's not generated by multiplying the prime numbers together must therefore in each of those modulus B prime by definition. So now we have an infinite series of primes and those are the red numbers you see on the left. But we didn't even do it for that reason. We did it to understand the constants, which are the blue column on the right. Every mathematical constant that has the potential to merge the world and physics between strong force and weak force that Albert Einstein himself was trying to crack for many, many decades, but could never crack to merge the worlds of quantum physics and the standard model now I think is at our very fingertips. Because in order to have a unified physics model, we must have a unified mathematical model that underlies that physical model. So with that, I'm gonna go ahead and end here. I'm very, very excited about today. Uh, great things are happening today. And uh, I'm loving the now. And I'm looking forward, but just enjoying the moment as it is right now. The looking forward part is uh, sort of secondary. And I'm thrilled about the direction and how everything is going. Everything's happening for a good reason. 
And uh, I'm very, very honored and grateful to have been invited by you today, Matt, to, uh, to present on your show. Amazing, man. Just truly freaking extraordinary. Thanks so much for your time and coming on and all your work. I know you got to get going and I appreciate you uh, fitting me in on your busy schedule. Um, thanks so much, man. Um, the only thing that I'll say to that is the Tho thing I had a, we discussed it once in private, but I, I talked about it in public. It was a very fifth dimensional, extraordinary experience that I can't explain. So there's, there's something to all this and it seems like you're, you're starting to put some puzzle pieces together as far as the math goes and even the physics goes. So just tons of love to you, man. Ex absolutely extraordinary work. Thank you, my friend. You have a great day. I look forward to seeing you and we're going to get up to Maine soon. Yes. Sounds good. Okay, brother. Right. Have a good one. Right. See Bye -bye. ya. Bye. All right, guys, I hope that you enjoyed that absolutely mind-blowing two-parter with Robert Grant. As I said before, check out uh, YouTube, uh, Robert Grant, and you'll see the slides that he had accompanying that. I highly recommend that. I highly recommend checking out the Resonance Science Foundation. If you go to resonance.is forward slash zen, you'll get 10% off, and uh, you can check out and dive deeper into Robert's course there and also uh, the Resonance Academy, which is an amazing course that I did last year and had just such an amazing time with them in Egypt. They're going to Peru in a couple months I believe so they're doing amazing work uh, Robert's truly incredible his course is just that mind-blowing the the entire time and he is wor working on leading edge discoveries breakthroughs and technology so this is leading edge world breakthrough stuff right here and you can be a part of it um, so I'm going through it I might not un understand it all but you know I'm just kind of going through anyway because I think it's important and taking what I can understand and, and trying to express that um, but I think I think it's good I think it's valuable knowledge I hope anyway so tons of love and gratitude for Robert for coming on and for all the work that he's doing thank you everybody who has been supporting the show thank you so much for my patrons um, Gail Blair um, she hooked it up I don't think I mentioned that at the beginning so I have to do it next time but uh, Gail Blair thank you so much for supporting me on Patreon and every other Patreon Patreon? Patron. Uh, because it does help. Um, you know, I'm committed to this for at least the time being, bringing these amazing guests. So if you want to support the show, please share. Please do three acts of kindness today. Go out of your way to do it. Don't tell anybody. That's the formula. Three acts of kindness. Don't tell anybody. Go out of your way to do it. And that is a mathematical formula, apparently, a spiritual mathematical formula from David Lombard Senapass. If you can't do three, freaking do one. If you, if you like this podcast and you, you you say, hey, man, this is good information, do one, support it by doing one act of kindness. The action is proving that you're getting the message. If you don't do any action and you're just thinking about it, it's no good. So go do an act of kindness, please. Pretty please. Do three even would be even better. Um, you could also support me on Patreon forward slash Matt Belair. That really helps. And for those of you guys who want coaching, I'm doing two things. 90-minute smash breakthrough sessions on limiting beliefs, getting clear on a life vision, um, overcoming any kind of traumas or you know healing type of stuff. We can do that because you know I'm equipped in basically you know, so many different modalities um, You know from NLP, EFT, hypnosis, visualization, past life, all that kind of stuff. But I, but I really bring it down to something that's very grounded, simple, applicable. So you got a, essentially a, a workout program, something to move towards, you know, and that's the most important thing. So, you know, whether you're looking for your life vision, a little bit more alignment on your purpose, fulfillment, anything like that, or leveling up high performance, peak performance, flow state, 
anything like that, you know, we can do. And if you want to do something a little bit longer, um, if you're a CEO or you're a manager and you want to you want this stuff for your staff, um, it's really powerful. You know, team communication. What happens in a group unit when you use all these techniques? Um, because I know we talk about crazy stuff on the podcast, but you know what the applicable uh, communication and peak performance and mindset and all that kind of stuff. You bring that into a high vibe staff. You can create at a much higher pace with less stress and more enjoyment. And so and that's what you want to experience in life anyways, more enjoyment and less baloney. Um, so that's it. So you can reach out at mattbelair.com forward slash coaching or matt at zenathlete.com as well as uh, check out the Zen Athlete book, gift it to a friend if you want it. You know any coaches or athletes, I'll happily gift it if you need. Um, but buy it, pay it forward. be awesome because I want to inspire lots of kids to, you know, go on the route to self-mastery. So I think that's it. Um, anything else? Oh, yeah. Check out the email list at matt at Zena, or mattbelair.com. And if you go forward slash lucid dreaming, there's a free lucid dreaming audio and ebook, So you can check that out. And that's all my yammering, talking too much. Uh, but I'm wishing you all the best and my sincere love and gratitude for listening to this. If you're hearing this, I'm sending you the largest energetic hug I can possibly do um, so you can receive that. And in person, I will give you a real hug if we cross paths. You can have an actual real one. Um, but thank you so much for supporting the show, um, for for committing to learning, for wanting to go deeper, for questioning, you know, reality and, and what you can do here and wanting to better yourself, you know, for that initiative alone you have all of my love and respect so um, tons of love and gratitude for you coming on this journey so before we close this out let's just come to a state of uh, self-love and self-gratitude just being just so grateful and kind to ourselves so wherever you are in the world take in a deep breath in through your nose hold that breath Just make that firm commitment to be loving, kind to yourself, to be grateful and appreciative in this moment. And just let that breath out slowly with every self-criticism, self-doubt, any negative and your task list, just all the negativity, just let it go. Taking another deep breath in through your nose and really just double this commitment to be loving, kind to yourself, being grateful and appreciative for who you are, for being content with everything that you have right now knowing that you're fully connected, supported, you're a part of a bigger divine picture, that you're whole, perfect, harmonious and amazing just as you are, with everything that you have and you are, with nothing you need more. And just let that breath out slowly with all the cares and all the worries of the day. And just one more deep breath in through your nose and just really doubling this feeling of love and gratitude and support for yourself. And I want you to send out that energy to all your friends and your family and your enemies and the entire world. Just sending out all your love and support and encouragement. Sending you all of my love and support and encouragement. And just see yourself as like an infinity loop, like an eight. And it's going out and coming back. You're sending out love and gratitude and support and you're receiving love and gratitude and support. Just allow yourself to feel that just a receiver and an emitter. And there you go. So have an an amazing day. Thank you so much for your time and your energy and your attention. Um, Look for the beauty in life. It is all around you. And uh, I'm so grateful for you. So have an amazing day. Thank you so much. And we'll see you in the next episode.